We're in week two of our Jesus and series. Um, today we're going to be in John chapter 5. So if you want to dive in already and just grab that in one of the Bibles in front of you, we'll put some of the scripture up in a minute. But the idea with the teaching team, as Steve started to talk about last week and the first week, is that we wanted to see how Jesus interacts with either certain concepts or ideas, certain people that we have believed are part of this faith walk in this Christianity, but also we wanted to see how as he was on earth and spent time navigating through what would be a covenant relationship in the context of his kingdom, what did life actually look like for him? And as we were contemplating what this series would be called, we had everything from, like, if you could just say one thing about the Gospels. If you as a teacher said, this is like the, the thing that gets me going on behalf of Jesus, what would that be? We had conversations around, it's just, it's just teachings of Jesus, it's just the gospel. And we landed on this idea that it's, it's always Jesus and. And that that's a great philosophy for just life. If you're reading the Old Testament, you're an Old Testament person, still engage in the Old Covenant with Jesus and Old Covenant. Jesus and New Covenant, Jesus and the gospel, Jesus and my life, Jesus and Ohio State, whatever. Um, like if it's a perspective of Jesus and then you go into it with changing your perspective on the world slightly, but it could turn into changing your perspective on the world greatly. I was influenced by Steve's teaching last week when he started us off with Jesus and Satan. We're just going to just ease in, right, to this, this series of Jesus and Satan. But the perspective that he brought of that Satan is this, this rebellion idea, and that Peter was called Satan, and that Peter was more Satan than Satan. And I love the statement that, that, that Steve had us wrestle with last week, that if Peter is more Satan than Satan, I am more Satan than Peter. And yet Jesus is with me, and it's Jesus and Chris still, even in spite of that, that tension that I find in my own relationship with Jesus. Today we're going to dive into a little bit of the idea of Jesus and God. And for me, it's a, it's a conversation that I often need to come back to because while there is a belief that Father, Son, and Spirit are one God, we often disconnect them from roles and responsibilities and even perspective in our life. So we're just going to spend a few minutes diving in on Jesus and God this morning. I want to start by following up on a story that I started to share a few weeks ago. I'm learning all about Jesus through this one boy named CJ. The first part of my conversation around CJ was that his grandmother had dropped him off at an, at an after-school program in, in Price Hill where I serve, and your, this, our church had provided backpacks for students who didn't have backpacks, and CJ and his brother had been dropped off with this mandate from grandma and mom would you fix CJ and his brother because we're afraid they're going to go into a gang and we're like, we're not sure that we can fix them, but we'll create a safe space for them. And at the end of the conversation, they left with backpacks and school binders and feeling encouraged and part of a community because we just gave. And even CJ's older brother, Antoine, had said, I know what you're doing here. You're trying to tell me that God loves me and that he'll never leave me and that I'm part of his story. And we're like, yes, that's exactly what we're trying to do. And CJ came back the next week, and in the middle of a rainstorm, he ends up, like, helping out with my car. And he starts to take note of all of these things that are going on around him. 
And I'm just impressed with this eight-year-old's perspective on the world. Well, last week, I'm headed over to Block again. That's the, the organization that we partner with. And on my way to Block, every time I go, my thought is I should never go empty-handed. One of the things that I always know that either the children or families around this particular community need is healthy food. I have had two significant conversations with drug dealers while they were grinding up weed and putting it into bags to then sell over bananas. Because they came to this little stoop and said, can we have bananas too? I'm like, yes. One of two things is happening right now. You're just naturally hungry or you have the munchies. I'm not sure which one. It could be both. But there's this longing for food in a community. And so I would always stop at Kroger and grab some food. And on this particular day, my goal was bananas, clementines, and some Gatorade because I was going to have some conversation with the boys at the end of the thing. And I thought, they'll listen to me if they have a nice drink that they don't normally get. So it was total manipulation. And as I walk into Kroger, we walk, Sonny is with me, and as we walk through, people are checking out. And you hear this thud, and you see this lady's cane fall on the ground. She's trying to get off of one of those little motorized scooters that no one should ever be allowed to have in Kroger because they destroy everyone else that's there. And because they go around the corner, you're like, whoa, excuse me. And she does not have control of her scooter, and her cane has fallen off, and she's trying to take care of her groceries. And I am walking and thinking, wow, we could help that woman, but there's no time to help her because this little boy runs across as he's checking out with um, someone from his family. He runs across the aisle and he grabs all of the stuff and he puts her cane back and he grabs her groceries and he puts it in the, the little cart again and he says, is that everything? Are you okay? And she says, oh, sweetie, I'm fine. Thank you for helping me so much. And then he just darts back across. And I look at Sonny and I'm like, was that CJ? Like, this is like the most spiritual boy I've ever met in my life. Like, this eight-year-old is everywhere, and he's always doing the right thing. Like, he just looked up, and she's like, I think that's him. And I'm like, that's so CJ. So we get our stuff, and we pack it up, and we buy it. We head over to Block, and as we get there, and the doors open, the first person at the door is CJ. And he's starting to walk in, and I'm like, I have, I have to talk to you. And he's like, what? What did I do? Like, were you just at Kroger? And he was like, yeah, but that wasn't me. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what else you saw. I didn't see that part. I said, you, you're on Kroger at Warsaw? And he said, are you watching me? Like, I've totally freaked this kid out at this point. And I was like, yeah, I guess I am, because I just want to tell you a story. Can I tell you the story real quick? He's like, yeah, I love stories. I was walking into Kroger, and there was this lady who couldn't take care of her own stuff, and it all fell on the ground, and I saw this little boy run over and grab all of her stuff and put it back on her cart, and this big grin just goes across CJ's face, and I'm like, was that you? And he was like, I didn't think anyone saw that. I'm like, I saw it, and that was the coolest thing I've seen today, and he was like, that's awesome. Can I have one of those Gatorades? He just didn't even know, like, the significance of what he, he just did it and went. And I walked away thinking, who taught him that? Where did he learn that behavior? What, in the space that feels very chaotic for me, it's a space that, that, that poverty wins on most days, that chaos is looming, that there are just all kinds of wild stories happening. How does an eight-year-old boy know to help? 
How does he know to run through the rain and close a trunk when it pops open in the middle of a storm? How does he know to ask questions about it? Where does it come from? Who is he imitating? And what, what story has happened around him? And I don't know the answer yet for CJ, but it led me into this question of saying, where does the imitation come from? And it's really the landing that I want us to see today is that the relationship between Jesus and God is all about in, imitation and interdependence. Because what we do always comes from somewhere. Here's the text. We're going to start in verse 17. Jesus says to them, the religious leaders, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And in 18 it says that for this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That this beginning in John 5 where Jesus says, this is how I and God are working together, is that I believe that I am equal with God. Paul writes about it later in Philippians chapter 2, that even Jesus said he did not find equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and came here as a servant to dwell among us. So Jesus views himself equal to God, and I would... I would challenge us to consider this morning that Jesus says my equality with God comes through my investment of imitation and interdependence on God. To set this story up, Jesus' response to these leaders when they want to kill him is because he's just completed his second public miracle as as John records it. The first is turning water into wine at a wedding. The second, in the beginning of John chapter 5, is this story that we're told by John that said that there was a man laying lame or disabled at a pool in Bethesda, in this pool called Bethesda, and that there was, in verse 4, it talks actually about this theory or this belief or this, like, this myth that an angel of the Lord would drop into the pool and would stir the water up and the first one into the pool would actually be healed by the water that was coming out. And we have no confirmation that the angel of the Lord throughout this old covenant was actually showing up at Bethesda and healing the first person in. More than likely, it was a story where at times the water would come off of a mountain and work its way into this pool. And in the middle of the pool where the water came in, it would start to bubble up and then there would be just warm water. And there would be this belief system around it that if we could get to the warm water, the living water, when it comes in, the fresh water, we could find healing in the pool. And so this man is laying on the side and Jesus comes to him and says, do you not want to be healed? And he gives all of these reasons. He's like, I've been here for almost 39 years. Of course I want to be healed. I don't want to lay here, but I can't get in the pool myself. People will walk past me and no one will help me. And then when the living water comes up, when the water in the middle comes up, if I try to pull myself and imagine this army crawl guy working over toward the pool, can't get himself there, that by the time I get to the pool, someone's already jumped in ahead of me and taken the living water. So I never get to it. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to walk? Do you want living water? Because it's not the bubbles in the pool. He's standing in front of you. Do you want to walk? And the man says, of course. He says, then take up your mat and go. 
The story says that he took, takes up his mat and he starts to walk. And as he leaves, all of these people see it. Religious leaders are asking him, who did this to you? How are you different? And don't you know that you're breaking the Sabbath law by carrying your mat? Tell us who did this to you. And he doesn't know because it was a stranger in a crowd and there's all these people around. But then Jesus comes to him later and they have a conversation about his healing, about the difference in his life. And Jesus challenges him and says, go and sin no more, which is really a tough text there of saying, did what sin have to do with being disabled? But he says, Jesus really is using his physical disability as an illustration, as a metaphor for what spiritually overwhelms us and says, don't do this anymore so that you can stay in living water. Like, stop doing these dark things so that you can live in light things. But then the man recognizes Jesus and goes back to the religious leaders and tells all of the, the religious leaders, it was him. That, that's the guy. That's the guy who made me break the rules on the Sabbath by carrying my mat. Which if you look at the Old Covenant, there is no rule in the Old Covenant that says you cannot pick up your mat and carry it. There's an interpretation of what work is on the Sabbath that then was taken into the nth degree that said, you shouldn't even do this. And so these religious leaders are translating this scripture and saying, but you shouldn't even do that. And so when Jesus responds to them by saying, my Father is always working, so I am always working. He is saying, I created the Sabbath. I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath. That wasn't even one of my Father's rules on the Sabbath. And I am one with the Father. I am equal to Him. And He's challenging them by saying, I'm equal with God. But He doesn't let them respond. Instead, He goes through this passage and He actually breaks down what equality with God looks like. And this equality with God is built on imitation and interdependence. If we read in verse 19, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Imitation and interdependence. Some commentaries say that this is imitation and dependence, that Jesus is completely dependent on the Son. I would actually challenge that and say that imitation, one, the Son is doing what He sees the Father doing, which for us as a takeaway is to say, when we see Jesus do something on earth, we then need to put it in to the same context of God the Father doing it. That these aren't two separate actions. We don't have an Old Testament angry, judgmental God, and a New Testament, grace-filled, truth-filled God. We have a God for both Testaments that is filled with justice and truth and grace and compassion because when we see Jesus do this on behalf of the Father, the Father has not changed His character, but He's extended His character into Jesus on this earth. And so it's a mixture of both. And so when we see Jesus act, we need to interpret that as this is God the Father and His character living out through the person of Jesus. But that also the Father is dependent on the Son because if the, the Son does not do the work, then the Father ends up with this character and this lifestyle and this perspective and this covenant that is not lived out. So we both need the person who is establishing and speaking into existence and holding this construct, and we need the one who is saying, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. That's interdependence. 
between the Father and the Son. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever have the Father come to earth. We have the Spirit sent. We have the Son sent. And without the sentness of the Son and the Spirit, the Father, His will is not fulfilled. So the Father is as dependent on the Son as the Son is on the Father. It's not just one in this space. Then Jesus goes on. In verse 20, he says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. And Jesus is very clear in this. He says, one, imitation starts when love is given. I want to imitate someone else because of the way they love me, because of the way they empower me. But second in this verse, he says, I also want to be empowered because you're transparent before me. Jesus says that the Father shows him even greater things that he hasn't seen yet. That the Father is willing to show you all of himself and to be transparent before him. And so Jesus says, we are one and we are equal, but we are interdependent. And this is what the Father does for me. He shows me that he loves me. And then he shows me even the most vulnerable aspects of himself. Then he continues to go into verse 22. And he says, moreover, the father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the son. This is the interdependence part that the father does not enact judgment. Instead, it's the son. That he says, I empower you, I entrust you, and that this role of us working together, this connectedness happens through Me giving to you. That's the Father to the Son. And it's the Son who judges. Which is actually a warning to the Pharisees and Sadducees. That they're standing saying, we're here to judge you as to whether or not you would be a worthy Messiah. And Jesus is actually saying, wait, no. Actually, my dad didn't give you that responsibility. He gave me that responsibility. And I'm judging you right now. As to whether or not you want to imitate and be interdependent within our community. You've got this wrong. And that was a part for me that I had to pause and look at in this scripture to think, am I continuing to judge whether or not God and Jesus in their role in my life are enough for me? Or do I believe that it is they who carry the role of judgment and Jesus who carries the role of judgment? And what would he think of me? How would he perceive me? How would he look upon my life? Instead of how I look upon his and see what value it has for me. And we'll finish up with this way. In John 3, 23. He says, All may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And there's a power in this of harmony. That Jesus says, we work harmoniously together. The Father has sent me. I carry judgment. The Father has the will. He has the vision. He tells us what's next. He tells us where we're going. But that the Father will tell us where we're going. And I will decide and bring in who is going to go with us. And we work in harmony together. Jesus and God. A harmonious relationship of imitation and interdependence 
Because without both working together, we don't know answers to the questions we're really asking. I pulled out 12 jugs of Gatorade and I passed them around to a porch full of boys. CJ, instead of grabbing his perceived Gatorade, he made sure that everyone else got the flavor that they wanted before he took what was left. Still blown away by this kid. I'm like, are you eight or 45? And then we sat down. You may have seen on the news that last week there was a tragic accident in Price Hill where a girl who was a student at Western Hills High School um, lost her life in a car accident. She was a pedestrian, was clipped by one car, and then a second car didn't see her, and she died. This student went to school with most of the kids that we work with in the after-school program, and our belief is that you need to process these events and these activities within 72 hours so that the brain can stay moving forward. And so we're on a porch with boys from 8 to 16, and the conversation is, did you know her? How are you doing? And do you have any questions about, about death and what happens next? One of the boys shot their hand up about halfway through the conversation and says, what happens when you die? And CJ looked at him and said, I know. I'm like, of course you do. You're a prophet. And CJ said, there's a thing where we go and wait. It's a waiting place. And God will come to that waiting place. And he's going to pick people that are going to be with him forever, and they go to a great place. And then the people who he doesn't pick go to a dark place. I'm like, okay. We can work with that conversation. Like, CJ, how do we get from the waiting place to the place where we're with God forever? Do you know the answer to that? Because that's like really what we all want to know, right? And all the guys are like, yeah, yeah, CJ, how do we get from the place? And he takes a big swig of Gatorade, and he's like, no idea. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, man, come on. So in that next few minutes, we talk about, well, God and Jesus are one. And Jesus said that it's on him to judge and that he came to carry the judgment for everything that we have done wrong. Everything that we have made as mistakes, every pit that we've fallen into, every moment of darkness, that he has come and said, anyone who believes in him, he'll carry the burden of that so that when this space is finished and the new space is starting, we get to go with the light. And this time it was CJ that asked the question. And he rose his hand and he said, so, if I steal a car tomorrow, And I confess Jesus two days later. I still get to go to the light? Yes, CJ. You still get to go into the light. You may also go to jail. But you go to the light. So if I steal a car and then confess Jesus and then I steal another car, do I still get to go into the light? Yes, CJ. If you steal a car and you believe in Jesus... And he will carry the burden of that for you eternally. And then you steal another car. Yes, but there's this thing called the Holy Spirit that's going to make you not want to do that second 
you know, theft, we think, right? He's like, can I have Jesus now? Like right now. Can I say Jesus now? And will you baptize me? That was his immediate response. Jesus and God. Covenant relationship here. Wanting to be forever with him. The only way to not go into that dark place when it's all over and to go into this place is because Jesus says, that's on me. It's pretty simple, eight-year-old language. But when it boils down to what Jesus says about himself, that's really what he's saying to us. This morning, the burden of judgment is on him. This morning, the burden of scripture is on him. This morning, the the burden of imitation and interdependency, he says, is on him. Yet this morning, most of us, maybe, I won't say most, because I don't know what your story was this week. I'll say me. I'll say I put that burden on myself. A lot more that I let him carry it. And I imitate what I think he would be impressed with. Instead of imitating the life that he actually invites me to. Jesus and God working together, imitating one another, and in interdependence. They then later say, we are one, and you're invited to be one with us. Just say his name again. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these passages to dive so deep into who you are and how you're interwoven with your Father. And I pray again this morning that as you carry the burden of judgment and you carry the weight of your word, that you would speak it over us in grace this morning and that you would move us again to just shoot our hand in the air and say, can I say your name again today too? I pray that you give us the grace and that you remove the shame and the guilt so that we can say it and that we would become imitators of you and the Father and that we would live dependently on you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.